Good to be home. Woo. Oh, that's right. This is what we say. Has a whole new meaning, doesn't it? Amen. Hey, I'd like you to take your Bibles out and turn with me to Luke chapter 8 and verse 25. Luke chapter 8, verse 25, I'm reading out of the ESV. And it reads, he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? Father, tonight we thank you so much for this time that we have just to be together and to be in your presence and to be in your word. Holy Spirit, thank you for your anointing to preach and to teach this word. And I will endeavor to do my best to deliver what you've placed upon my heart. Bless every word. May it be life to the hearer. Father, may it just bring a new revelation tonight to them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. How many of you are willing to do a little experiment with me tonight? Uh, we've got the ushers. We're going to make sure that everybody has two sheets of paper. So everybody make sure you get two sheets of paper. Now one of them, I want you to write on it, and I want you to write down one situation that you are facing in your life today. Just one. Now I know there's multiple. But I need you to write down the most pressing situation in your life today. So what am I asking you to do? Write down the most pressing situation you're facing in your life today. And I want you to leave the other sheet blank. Now I want to pick up tonight where I left off the last few times we've been together. And we have discussed a myriad of things, but specifically being rooted and grounded in Christ, growing up in Him. And we've started to go into the climates and attitudes of people surrounding us and how complex our environment can be today. Now, we've explored how the enemy wants to entice us with enlightenment. And his deception is like a poison that kills. But I want to challenge our thinking just a little bit today. You may recall that I also challenged us concerning drama and trauma. How many of you remember that a little bit? That your drama is not trauma and don't elevate it to that level. And we found out that such anxieties can be very dangerous and they can actually rule our lives. But I did share with you that I believe anxiety or fear is faith, but it is a perverted faith. Now, fear determines outcomes contrary to the Word of God, whereas faith always declares God's outcomes. So again, fear declares outcomes that are contrary to the Word of God, and faith always declares God's desired outcomes. There was an individual by the name of uh, Michael de Montaigne, and he said this 500 years ago. He said, My life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which 
never happened. I want to say that again. My life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. Now, Cornell University recently conducted a study that proves that statement. The study focused on how many situations people worried about and never came to pass. Subjects wrote, they wrote down their worries over time and identified which issues never materialized. And it turned out that 85% of those imagined misfortunes were unfounded. And for the 15% that did happen, 79% of those, they reported and they smiled about them retrospectively, saying that they handled it better than expected or found something valuable in their difficulty. Or in other words, only 3% of what people imagined in their minds could actually be taken seriously. Leo Biscaglia said this, Worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow. It only saps today of its joy. Now, some of these you just need to remember. When you get into worry, it is not going to stop the sorrow that you may face tomorrow. But it will rob you of your moment today. That's what we don't want to give our lives over to. So what are fear and anxiety? If we're going to beat these, we know that right now the CDC says this, that one-third of the people in the United States today are going through depression at any one time. That means if we were to look around this room, one-third are going through some depressing situation in their life right now, right tonight. So how do we define fear and anxiety? Fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain, or a threat. Anxiety is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. When you put these two together, that's where we find ourselves in a situation to where we are out of control in our personal lives. Worrying about something is impossible. Now hear me. Worrying about something is impossible unless you're willing to dwell and meditate on that issue. You can't have worry in your life unless you turn your focus and your attention to worry and meditate and really let your imagination run wild over that event. Therefore, anxiety requires you to use your imagination. Hmm. Did you know you can't be afraid? You cannot be afraid unless you feel separated from God and believe something greater than Him is in your life and it poses a threat. See, when you know who you are in Christ and you know His presence in your life, what is there to fear? All fear eventually boils down to the fear of death or dying. 
But what is death and dying to a believer? It's just a transition from this natural, mortal life to an eternal, immortal life. Where there is no death, there's no sorrow, there's no trouble, there's nothing. So the worst thing that could happen to you is a blessing to move on. Even the Apostle Paul said it like this. For me, to die is gain. But it's really more needful for you that I stick around for a while. What I choose, I'm not going to tell you. I know that it's good if I'm here for you. But if I had my druthers, I'd go be with the Lord. That's the Lonnie Bingle version. Now, anxiety grows when we project ourselves into the future and we create an idea of what might come. I want you to think about this. Anxiety grows when we project ourselves into the future and create an idea of what might come. All too often, we cling to that vision that we've conjured up so powerfully by our imaginations that it begins to exist in reality. Anxiety is when those imaginations, those scenarios have so much control over us that we get physically overwhelmed by them. We looked at the disciples being in the boat when the storm rose. How many of you remember that little illustration? And how they chose to deal with the struggle they were facing. But I want to go back and revisit that moment and bring more understanding to our faith. You see, Jesus is sleeping soundly. Everybody say soundly. Jesus is in the back of the boat, and he's sleeping soundly. We're going to look at Mark 4 and just four verses. We're just going to break down four verses tonight. While he's sleeping, a storm rages. It's amazing what storms do to people. There are some that are not here tonight because they stepped into the future anticipating a storm and thought about what it might be like to have to go out in it as soon as church was over and decided it's not worth it. They have already stepped into the future, got a predetermined outcome, brought it into their reality now, and will miss the blessing of God for their life because of a predetermined outcome that will never happen. what the disciples were doing. What did Jesus say? Back in our text, Luke 8, 25. Jesus said, where is your faith? He didn't say, why don't you have any? He said, where is it? Now, if I go to my wife and I say, honey, have you seen my keys? The assumption is I have some. I don't know where they are, but I have them. For some of you wives, you've probably seen this. Honey, have you seen my glasses? Why? The assumption is I have glasses. 
You don't ask somebody, where is your car, if they don't have one. You ask them because they have one. If I went to Pastor Barb and said, Pastor Barb, where is your car? She can tell me right now where her car is and where it's parked. And by faith, it will be there after the service. See, but you ask the question because they have it. When Jesus said, where is your faith? It wasn't because they didn't have any. It's because he asked them to pinpoint where it's at in this moment. You see, the disciples were fearing that they would lose their future if the boat sank unexpectedly. Despite having faith, their natural instincts took over. Do you realize that when you don't exercise your faith every day, you will exercise your fear every day? You're going to exercise one or the other. So you might as well exercise your faith. You might as well allow faith to rise. And that, you see, too often we just want to say no to fear. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be afraid. That won't work. Faith is active. Faith is always doing something. Faith works by love. Faith without works is dead. Faith is always doing something. So is fear. And whichever one we feed is the one that we will see results from in our lives. Through this illustration, we see that we have a tendency to default to what we know and perceived to be real, rather than relying on God's word in our lives. How do we know? Because Jesus got in the same boat they were in. Jesus said, we're going to the other side. That's it. The moment he said, we're going to the other side, they had his word. There is no way that Jesus wasn't making it to the other side. And if he's going over there, so were they. Unless... They did something contrary to being in his presence. So they start looking at the storm. And they defaulted to what they knew as fishermen on the sea. God's word in our lives, the Holy Spirit, and that which we cannot see is what we need to rely upon. Now, remember the definition of faith in Hebrews 11.1? 1? It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Jesus made it clear that we're to have the faith of God in Mark 11.22 and 23. Have the faith of God. Faith is released by what we say. Faith is released by believing in our heart. Faith is that belief that what he said will come to pass. Now, I would submit that if we rely upon what we see, we will be limited to the natural realm and the outcomes dictated by that realm. So that begs the question, where is our faith? Well, let's go back to the boat. Four verses. Let's go back to the boat. Let's break down what happened during that storm. The passage in Luke chapter 8 that we're looking at is going to bring some revelation tonight. 
It reveals powerful truths about how we can operate in faith today. So let's really, really ingrain within ourselves what faith is. I want to read the Amplified Bible here, Hebrews 11, 1. It says, now faith is the assurance. That's the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. Now, let me give you my definition of faith. Faith is stepping into the future based on what God says and bringing his picture of you back into today. I'm going to say that again for this side of the room. Faith is stepping into the future and appropriating, taking what God sees about you and bringing it back and making it real today. You see, fear and faith are opposites of the same coin. Fear also steps into the future and brings what is contrary to God back into today. So let's rewrite Hebrews 11.1 in the enemy's version. Now fear is the assurance, the title deed, confirmations of things dreaded, opposite of God's guarantees, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality, fear comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. They're almost identical. That's why it's so easy to fall into fear, because we're trained to walk by faith. It's natural to step into the future and bring something back. That's, that's our spiritual nature, if you will, to step out and appropriate God's word and bring it back. The problem is, is just like in the garden, the enemy is constantly telling us that God doesn't want you to have the best. He didn't give you the best because if you really knew God, you would know this. You know, God's selfish because he didn't give that to you. God really doesn't care about you because you didn't get it. The enemy has always worked the same way since the garden. It hasn't changed. Isn't it amazing that two people can experience the same event and have two different perspectives on it? Same exact event, and yet they can remember something totally different about it. There's a thing, a, a phenomena, a psychological death, if you will. There are people that are in accidents by all physical standards should be dead. But they have declared that they will live and not die. They have already stepped into the future and seen themselves beyond that accident and said, I'm going to live and not die. Then there are others who get a scratch in comparison 
No reason for them to die, and they die. Why? Because they've convinced themselves they're going to. Luke 8.22 says this. One day, everybody say one day. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go to the other side of the lake. So they set out. <laughs> I like this verse. We could say it like this. One day they set out. All the other stuff is what Jesus said. But it's so crucial to the sentence. Some people just go, one day we're going out. But they forget what God says. And that's where the conflict comes in. One day, he got into the boat with his disciples. God is not asking you to go anywhere that he's not going with you and has proceeded you. He knows where you're going. He knows what you're going to face. He knows what's in front of you. And he says, it doesn't matter because I'm going with you. I've already been out here in the future. I know the outcome and I'm bringing it back to the today so you can walk with me and appropriate that. That's faith. When our oldest son was born, Joshua, by all medical rights, he was dead. There's no way he should be alive. As soon as he was born, he was without oxygen for 25 minutes. Anybody that knows anything about breathing knows you don't live if you can't breathe for 25 minutes. After five minutes, the possibility of severe brain damage is present. You go beyond that, you can. You can train yourself. There are those who've gone underwater diving. They've been able to hold their breath six, seven minutes. But it doesn't mean that their brain was without oxygen or without breathing. They developed a capacity to hold it in. But even the best of them are not going 25 minutes without oxygen. And especially a newborn baby. And I'll never forget the doctor saying, just take them off, unplug him. You're both young. You can have plenty of babies. Fear's knocking on the door. Faith answered it. Nothing's there. Doesn't mean it wasn't there. Doesn't mean I didn't feel it. It doesn't mean that I wasn't, you know, everything in me wanting to cry. To, to, and I shed more tears in the next three days. And all I could hear, believe it or not, the only thing I could hear in my mind over and over and over again was Kenneth Copeland saying, If you need to learn the vocabulary of silence, and you cannot give fear a voice. So if you can't speak God's word, if God's word is not about to come out of your mouth, say nothing. 
Boy, there was a lot I wanted to come out of my mouth. But the only thing I would let come out was praise. The only thing I would let come out of my lips was my boy will live and not die. You did not give me this child to die. And I stepped into the future standing on the promise that God had birthed in my heart that this boy would be a man of God, that he would stand and preach the gospel. And I went to that place and I said, what God has spoken, I'm going to bring into the now. What I'm looking at, what I'm seeing is not God's plan. This is not what God said. I'm looking at him strapped down on a gurney, flatlining on the monitors. And regardless of the storm in front of me, the wind and the waves, I had to say, I've been out there already. I know what God said. I'm bringing that into the now. And I refuse to let anything but his word come out of my mouth. One of the deacons at my church showed up. I thought, oh, thank God, I'm going to have somebody stand in faith with us and pray. And I walked out of ICU and he looked at me and he said, I told you that faith stuff doesn't work. I was in a demon possessed, I mean, deacon possessed, demon possessed church. I felt the fivefold rising in me. But I had to remember, what did God say? What he said is irrelevant. What did God say? One day, we all face things. One day, we're all going to be in that position. One day, something's going to rise. The storm, the wind and the waves are going to come. One day. But the only thing that gets us through that day is what did Jesus say? What does his word say? What do we have recorded here? Because that's how you get to the other side. That's how you continue moving. One day, they set out. They had God's word on it. But do you realize it's the enemy's job to question it? It's his job. He's supposed to question it. Did God say? Did God say you're supposed to go to the other side? How do you know? How do you know that just wasn't Pastor Barb speaking? Listen, if we're going to believe this word, we've got to believe everything in this word. And if God has established authorities in our lives, God is big enough to guide you even if they screw up. Uh-oh. You mean pastors can make mistakes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a ball of them. The Apostle Paul said, I'm the chief sinner. He said in Romans 7, all the things I know to do, I don't know. You realize that's the last book he wrote? That's at the end of his life, not at the beginning like, man, I'm really struggling to get there. He's going, no, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and I still messed it up. All the things I know to do, I don't do, but the things I know I'm 
not supposed to do. I end up doing those and I, the things I'm, I just, I'm, I'm a mess. I'd like to be just as messed up as Paul. I'd like to be able to write God's word the way he did. That's how big God is. Even through our screw-ups, God's bigger. You can't mess up so bad that you run him away from your life. What did the psalmist say? If I descend into hell, you're there. If I go up to heaven, you're there. Where can I go to get away from your presence? You can't. Some of you have been in that place where you've been shooting up, you've been taking drugs, you've been uh, committing adultery, you've been doing all kinds of things, and God never left you. He didn't go, I can't look at that. He was right there going, I love you. My grace is sufficient. I still shed my blood for you. This is but a moment, but your life belongs to me. One day, it comes, the storm. And what happens when the storm comes and it feels like Jesus is asleep in your life? You don't hear him. You don't hear the word. He doesn't seem like he's talking to you. Anybody been there? You're going through a tough time and silence. I've come to realize that his silence means he believes I can do this right now without another word. He already gave me the word I needed to go through that storm. And I'm looking for another word. I need, oh, I need some encouragement. I need. He said, I already told you we're going to the other side. And you're looking for another word. You're looking for a different word. You don't need another word. You don't need a different word. What you need is what I've already given you. And there's silence. Silence gets real loud. Notice that while he was sleeping, they were sailing. Verse 23, they sailed, he fell asleep. Jesus had been ministering all day. When we look at the account of Mark, in, in, in this scripture, in the parallel passage, it says he just finished teaching on the parable of the sower, all the parables that day, and now they're going and getting into a boat. Jesus is wiped out. He did his part, now it's time for them to do their part. He says, I'm going to sleep. And he does. Then in Luke... 8.24, the storm's getting bad. Jesus is silent. And the disciples go back and they say, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased, and there was a calm. Listen, these guys are nervous. They didn't call him master once. They called him master twice. I kind of got this picture in my head, because sometimes when I go through the word, I, I just 
visualize things. I want to see it. And I can see Peter. I can see John. I can see James. They're going back there. Master. Master. Like, we could have said, wake up. Wake up, master. How is it that they can be experiencing the same storm? Jesus can be calm and asleep. And they're convinced they're going to die. The disciples didn't lack faith. They put it in the wrong thing. They used their faith by going into the future and determining an outcome that they were going to die and brought it back into the now with them. And now we're telling Jesus, we've already been out there. We've seen that we're going to die. And now we're coming to tell you. They imagined an outcome that hadn't yet occurred. And listen, they had a good reason. It didn't mean that they didn't have a good reason that, to believe that they could die. They were well experienced on the sea. They knew how many lives the sea had taken. They knew how many had perished on those waters. They knew how fast a storm could come up. And in the natural realm, they were fearful. That's where faith comes into play. But where is our faith? Did we step into the future and appropriate what God said and what God sees about you, what God sees about your life? Did we bring that back into our situation and declare that? Or did we step into the future and see everything the enemy declared and believe that and bring that back into our future. You're going to step out there one way or the other. That's your imagination. That's why Paul said we bring every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. We're stepping out here. Those thoughts that want to take you out here and capture you and destroy you. He says, no, we're going to take that thought and capture it. We're going to make it obedient to Christ. If you're going to come out in the future, make it obedient to Christ. And then when you've done that, now we're ready to punish everything that's contrary to Christ. We bring that back in and say, no, every other thought, you're punished. You don't get to do this. You have no authority in my life. I've already been out here. I know what Jesus said. Therefore, I'm coming back here with his word. And fear has to go. What casts out fear? Perfect love. Love casts out all fear. Well, guess what's out here in the future in the presence of God? There is no one greater who operates in more love than the Father. God so loved, He gave. When you're in His presence, you receive from Him and you bring it back into the now, the very presence of God. Wherever you place your imagination, wherever you place your creative power, that's where you're going to find your faith. Faith brings what is not yet seen into the realm of reality. 
And hear me, faith does not discriminate. In that sense, in the sense I'm talking about, it does not discriminate between good and evil, healthy or unhealthy, functional or dysfunctional. Because the faith that's going to make a difference is not the one based in lies called fear. But the faith that we need is the one that's based in God's word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. If you get out into the future and you're hearing anything other than the word, you're no longer in faith. You have now determined fear will rule in your life. And you can come to Pastor Barb or Pastor Paul. You can come to any of the elders. You can come up here all day long for prayer. But if you have already determined your outcome because you stepped out here and embraced fear, no matter how many times they lay hands on you, it won't cast that out because you've made the determination and you have the authority over your life. I know we'd all like to believe Oh, just lay hands on me and I'll get better. No. Stupid is stupid. You can't cast it out. You have a choice given to you by God. Choose faith. I like what Jesus did. He awoke, and I believe he sensed faith but he knew it was misplaced. They'd use their faith out here, believing they would die. And Jesus didn't play with the wind and the waves. He didn't say, oh, Father, if it be your will. He just said, stop. Stop. You are contrary to the plan of God. You are keeping us from going to the other side. That's wrong. And he rebuked it. That's where rebuking comes into play. We rebuke those things that are contrary to God's plans. I thank God that he gives us leaders that aren't afraid to rebuke us. You know what this world needs a little bit more? Somebody to say, you're wrong. That's not the way to go. That is not God's plan. That is not his desire. That is not going to deliver you. It's not going to set you free. You can get this cut off and that cut off and grow your hair out and think you're something than other what God made you, and it's wrong. You will not be satisfied. You'll be thrown into more confusion. The statistics bear it out, and one out of two will commit suicide. I don't know. I, I told Pastor Barb the other day, I, I don't know what's going on. I've had more suicide calls in the last two weeks than I've had in my life in a two-week period. And I think to myself, what is going on? I think we're seven now in the last two weeks, almost one every other day. I think to myself, dear God, if this world ever needed somebody to step out into the future and say, let me tell you what God sees in you. Because now it's not just speaking faith for your life. We have transitioned into stepping out here 
interceding for them, coming into the now and bringing that word for them back into the now. Do you realize that's what the prophetic is? It's the ability to see what God sees and speak it into the now. This is what God sees. I can pray with you. I will lay hands on you. I don't care how many times you come up. We're still going to pray. We're still going to lay hands on you. We're still going to love you. But from this moment, it's up to you what you do with that. Just having somebody lay hands and prophesy over you does not make it go away. You now have to step into what God has for you. We have to realize what we control and what we don't. You cannot control God. You can't tell God do this and he'll do it or don't do that and he won't do it. You're a covenant partner with him and you can make your requests known boldly before the throne. But God's God. And sometimes he does things you and I may not understand because we don't have his perspective. See, if I were to look at this right now, that's my perspective. That's my altitude seeing this. But God's altitude, he sees all of this. And where we think this needs to happen, he goes, no, because I see this over here and this over here and this over here. And if I do what you're asking me to, it'll destroy you. I've heard people put it like this. Two of the worst things that can happen in life is going to God and Him giving you what you want and not giving you what you want from your perspective. Can't control God. You're not going to change the past. You're not going to persuade the future. It's been set. God has ordained it in your life. You can't, you can't ch change other people. You can't control other people, including your spouse. I've tried. You can't do it. <laughs> Not going to happen. Flip side of that coin, I think she's got me pretty well trained. She lets me think I'm in control. I feel pretty good about myself. It's all perception. You can't control situations beyond your control. The verbiage is important. Don't create situations that you could have controlled. And then go, I don't know how that happened. Yeah, you do. You know, you just don't fall into sin. You thought about it. You meditated on it. You stepped out into the future... And you said, what would it be like if I got drunk? Thank you. There's a young man that loves the word. Somebody stepped out into the future and said, you know what it would be like if I did that? How fun would it be if I did that? What would it be like if I got drunk, if I got high, if I cheated on my wife, if I looked at pornography? If I... How fun would that be? See, we step out into the future... 
And we determined it would be fun, and we bring it back into our now. We didn't just fall into it. We meditated on it. We gave our mind to it. We allowed it to consume us. And then when we partook of it, we wonder why that fruit destroyed us. What can you control? Do you realize that the best control is a spirit-led self-control? What can you control? I can control my decisions. I can control my attitude. I can control my passions. I can control my time. I can control my responses to other people. I can control my words. I can control my emotions. I can control my will. I can control my resilience. Those are things I can control. But here is what the enemy says. Why don't you try and control what belongs to God and let go of those things you really can control? It's just the opposite. I just get angry. That's just the way I am. That's my heritage. Be careful. I was brought up in a bad home. That's all I know. Careful. Well, if you knew my business, careful. What did God say? Because the enemy wants you to give up control of the things you have control over and try to control what belongs to God. Doesn't work that way. The enemy is a master at deceiving us into trying to do that. The disciples needed to realize that their faith was better placed in a sleeping Jesus than a raging storm. When the storm's going nuts all around you, you're far better off putting your faith in a sleeping Jesus. Why? He's already given you the word. He's already been out there. He's already seen it. You win. For some of you that may not know the end of the story, we took our baby boy home. He's preaching today. He's pastoring a thriving church. Why? Because I'd already been out here. It was 38 years ago. We brought back into the now what God said over his life, not what the doctor said, not what the monitors read, not what anything else. If you can control yourself, you can rebuke the storm. It's that spirit-led self-control that gives you the ability to rebuke the storm. And then what does the Bible say? There was calm. And after the calm, Jesus looked at them. Verse 25 again. Where is your faith? And they marveled saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and water and they obey him? Did he say anything about commanding wind, waves, anything? No, he just said, where's your faith? I've just been teaching all day long on the parables of what the kingdom is like. Where's your faith? How quickly you forgot. Less than a day. We're talking a matter of hours. And they've already forgotten. And Jesus said, I know you've got faith. 
Where is it? Where are your keys? Where's your car? Where's your glasses? They had it. They had just misused it and misplaced it. Where's your faith? Now, beginning of the service, I had everybody get two pieces of paper. And I had you write down one thing that you were facing right now. I want you to look at that. Have you stepped into the future and declared what God said? Receive his title deed, things that are not revealed to your senses. Or did you step into the future thinking, I'm, this one's going to get me. This one's taking me down. This one's whatever's on that paper, which side did you fall on? Here's what I want you to do. Realize what you can control and what you can't. But now on that second sheet of paper, I want you to rewrite it in faith. I want you now to step out here. And if you wrote down on that first sheet something that you've allowed fear to grip your life, I want you to just say, Father, forgive me. I'm going to command the storm to stop. And I'm going to write down now what you said. Amen? Nobody needs to know what's on your paper, but you do. Take it by faith. Step it out in faith. Walk it out in faith. What's the name of this place? Excuse me? Faith Builders. I get the privilege of helping us do that every now and then. Build a little faith. Step into the future, see what God says. Amen? Let's stand up. Mm, Father. Father, in this night, you alone are worthy to be exalted, to be magnified. You've been so, so good to us. Father, forgive me for those times where I've allowed the storm to sound louder than your voice. Forgive me when I've taken my eyes off of your word and cried out thinking we're going to die. Father, let me breathe in your spirit. and Realize all that you have for us in this moment. Oh, you're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. 
You're worthy. You're worthy. You're holy, God. You're worthy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, in this atmosphere of faith, I thank you for decisions that are being made right now to take what is out there that you've already seen, you've already been there, you've already declared it. And by faith, we receive it and bring it into the now. Because as your word says, now, faith. Ah, oh, may we have your faith where we see darkness and just speak light instead of letting the darkness rule our hearts and our minds. Just one light be and it's gone. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you that even though we may leave this place, we will not leave your presence. There's no place we can go where you are not. And Father, for all of those things were, that were written down, if when they wrote them down, fear rose in them, I rebuke that storm in the name of Jesus. And we release faith to understand that what you've declared is greater than the storm we're facing. We are going to the other side. We are going to the other side. We're going to the other side. And this storm will not prevail. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you all. It's good to be back with you. See you Sunday morning. Pastor Paul, I love you. Jen, I love you. Pastor Barb, I love you. Pastor Ginger, I love you. We've been here two years and I'm starting to learn names. <laughs> My lightning fast brain. Boom, just like that. Love you all. Have a good night. See you Sunday.